Friends, welcome to Bet On You Radio, where every episode we have an incredible guest sharing stories and giving you the tools and strategies you need to bet on yourself and win. I am Ben Whiting here with my amazing friend and colleague, Angie Morgan Witkowski. Angie, whew, we have been traveling a lot lately. What is, what's a great place you've What's, what's a place you've traveled to lately that's been interesting? Well, I've been spending a lot of time in Southeast and Central Michigan, and we are Michiganders, and we're Northern Michiganders, but I love the Detroit area. I think it's got a nice little grit and hustle, and then I've been going to Jackson for some client events. I just, you know, I'm a Midwesterner. I know you're not born in the Midwest, but I am a Midwesterner. These are my people. Where have you been lately? In addition to Michigan and Detroit, Maine, Indiana, Florida, and Las Vegas. And it's so interesting to visit Vegas now that I'm doing more speaking rather than performing because I actually lived there for a brief period. And Vegas, I always tell people it is a great place to visit, uh, but I would never want to live there. It's just the, uh, for me, I'm not a big gambler, but I do love the food and just traveling around and meeting new people. And I think it's so interesting that, uh, you know, you and I both love traveling. We've traveled internationally together, working and doing sales uh, trainings. Uh, but our guest today is actually going to be joining us from the other side of the planet. Uh, we're staying up a little late. He's going to get up a little early. Andre Alfonso. I don't even know how to put a label on this guy because he has so much wisdom and such an eclectic background. But I know uh, he's going to give us a lot of great stuff here today. Anything in particular you're looking forward to asking him about? Well, I know his background a little bit. You are good friends with him and you've shared a lot about his life journey, whether it's been surviving, not, not spoiler alert here, but spoiler alert, you know, surviving a near-death experience, coming out of that and working through a personal transformation. I always love to hear people's perspectives that go through pretty traumatic events in their life, feel confident and comfortable talking about it, and then sharing lessons learned. So I know for you, dear audience, you're going to get so much wisdom from someone with some serious life experience. Andre, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, Ben. I am doing really well all the way from Sydney. All the way from Sydney, Australia. He's getting up early. We're staying up a little late, and that's why we have this wonderful episode here today. So Andre, I know your personal story. And so I want to, but I want to make sure our audience gets the, the, the good stuff. Uh, you have a lot of thoughts and philosophies around the idea of masks and authenticity that I think a lot of us struggle with. Would you mind just kind of giving an overview on some of your thoughts on those concepts? Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a big question to kick us off, Ben. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I know Andre, I know Andre, and I know how much great stuff is in his mind and so i'm just like i want to make sure i get as much out for our audience as possible but of course andre if you'd like to start by telling me your favorite flavor of ice cream we can do that as well no, i think uh, let's just dive. let's just dive right in let's just dive right in because it is a big one right that is a, a big story so my story i was born in india uh, my parents immigrated to australia when i was about 12 years old and um i went to a you know, they, they put me into a pretty good school. But the, the issue I had at school was I was the only brown kid in an entire Anglo-Saxon school. So, you know, like, like you would expect in early 70s Australia, life was pretty hard in the schoolyard, right? And, 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 to, and to survive, you had to, I couldn't kind of really be me. And, I, and from an early age, I kind of learned to 
be what other people wanted me to be, right? The 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 cool guitar guy, the you know, the friend, the you know, all of those sorts of things. And these masks started going on. And then as I moved out of school and later on in life, uh, I got into a corporate career and I felt the same sorts of imposter syndrome type issues. And the mask kept getting on, the mask of a business um, um, uh, corporate uh, HR director, which is where I got to, right, in, in Unisys. Um, so all of those things about living the life of this person who was kind of hidden but had all of these facades, if you like, in front of them. Um, the big issue for me was probably in my 30s, late 30s, um, my marriage fell apart because I fell in love with my career. That was my thing. And it really hit me pretty hard because, well, I lost my kids. Uh, didn't lose my kids, but, you know, I wasn't with them anymore. And it really broke my heart. I didn't see it coming. It was really tough. And ended up having, a, like, literally broke my heart because I had a heart attack at the age of 42. Um, yeah, which was like, what? I'm too young for this. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, I'm blessed or cursed, no matter which way you look at, look at it, with, with a heart condition, which I've been living with ever since. Um, and then, I, you know, life went on and I kept, I moved to India again where I met Will we had uh, an amazing relationship and a bromance that continues to this day with, with the guy. <laughs> um, and then in eight years ago, uh, you know, heart disease came knocking once again. And this time this was really graphic because I had a heart, I was having a, not, I was having a procedure to have a stent put in, which is a pretty normal one. Um, normal, if you call that normal. Uh, I just put it, and uh, it all went wrong on the operating table, and I went into critical, and the hit code blue, and I was conscious because when you, they put stents in, you're conscious, and uh, my blood pressure dropped. They had my bed tilted upside down to try to get my blood pressure back. Uh, the the code blue meant all of the, the the crash card came in with the defibrillator, and I don't know about you, but every movie I've seen when they where they do the defibrillator, it never ends well. Yeah, and you're awake for all of this because you're you're conscious. And the nurses in 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 my ear saying, "Cough, Andre, cough, stay with us," because I was just passing out. My blood pressure was so low, and I said, "What's going on?" And she said, "We're trying to save your life," and in that moment was like. <gasps> And when you kind of make eye contact with death, as I say, you know, it's like so close to you, the whole world around you goes. And in the weeks, days, I should say, hours that follow that, I kind of realize I'm not ready to go yet. I need to live my life. I need to be live my authentic life. And I'm going to take these freaking masks off. Um, not, you know, that took probably a few weeks after that had to come to that realization, not in the spot. But with that came this amazing liberation, the sense of freedom that I've hidden behind for so long as to who is Andre Alfonso as an identity. Andre was Alfonso was what everybody else expected Andre Alfonso to be. And Andre Alfonso kind of buried the real 
um, bits underneath them. So that was such a critical part, Ben, of uh, of me, yeah, reinventing myself, basically. Andre, this is, again, this is our first time meeting, and I have chills, I have goosebumps. Your story is incredibly powerful, and all of this happened over 42 years. And I always think, you know, the amount of time it takes you to get into something, there's probably an equivalent amount of time for you to get out of it. And so I think that's a really important point you bring about 42 years in this critical transformative life event happened. I would be curious with this realization, what do you do? Because I, I, that resonates with me. I mean, we all put on a mask and pretend. That's why I love infants and animals so much. They don't really put on masks. Like how they feel is what you see. But humans, we just learn to shape shift throughout our career. So what, what does that process even look like? Well, the first part was connecting with myself again. You know, you, you kind of lose connection with, with who you are. So let me step back a little bit, Angie. And, and because I had this heart disease and, and, and people said to me, you know, well, it's, it's <clears throat> the, the prognosis wasn't good. I kind of decided to take it into my own hands. And I've been on, <clears throat> been on this process for the last eight years of reversing my heart disease, which is a pretty interesting mm -hmm. journey in itself. But in that yeah. journey has been all of these revelations that came up. <clears throat> so I found these cardiologists that kind of figured out how to do it. And there's things about diet and exercise, of course, that have to go through there from a physical point of view. But there was a whole lot of stuff from an emotional perspective as well. The first thing was to surround yourself uh, with a lot of love, you know, and, and, and get rid of the toxic people in your lives. Now, that was a really difficult thing to do because the stress for me, the sort of person I was in, was embracing everyone, including all of the toxicity that came into my life. So from a practical point of view, over the next few months, I had to sit down and figure out, well, who are the people I'm going to invest in and who are the people I'm going to jettison? You know, I, I call it banish the psychic vampires. Uh, someone, someone told me that and I've, I've stuck to that, uh, to that uh, thing. You know who they are. These are the people when you meet, they suck the energy out of you, right? And you leave feeling like, oh, <sighs> and then I realized I don't have to hang out with them. I really don't. And if I have to, I'll just, you know, prepare myself to deal with that. So Angie, that was one of the things that I did. Uh, the second thing was to really connect with who I was. <clears throat> so what is important? If you're getting rid of people, you've got to go through this journey of trying to figure out what is important for you. And I went through this process and it sounds a little bit leadership development, which it is, I guess of really trying to sit down and clarify what are my values in life? What are the five things that I hold sacrosanct to the way I live my life every day? And that was such an important piece for me uh, that to this day, uh, these five things play constantly. And every day that goes past when I do my mindfulness and my meditation, I, I think about um, you know those five things and how I'm gonna live my life in accordance with those five things. I'm really curious uh, for you, what are those five values and how did you go about discovering them? Yeah, well, the journey of discovering the values is not a one and done. Uh, you, you, you kind of are constant, well, the five have kind of remained constant with me for the last eight years. But, you know, every year I sit back and think about it and maybe refine it a little bit, maybe tweak it a little bit. But let me start with just one of them, which comes back to the wonderful Will Kitchen. 
so as I said, Will and myself have had, and Brent, you know, this have had this bromance for a period of time. We've, we kind of, um, um, lived in India, had an amazing adventure together, and we've continued that friendship to this day. Every fortnight we get on a call and we just talk about anything. There's no purpose. We just get and talk about stuff. But Will, one of the values I thought about was adventures, you know, kind of like adventures. But Will talked to me uh, about collect adventures, not things. And I love that, you know. And, And I think as I go about my life, I look at every experience as an adventure. When you look at every experience as an adventure, there's a perspective shift that happens in your head. For example, something simple like going to the grocery store, and I'm just using that as like a base level thing. If you look at it as an adventure, you walk in there with a completely different set of eyes. You're looking around at the people. You're looking around and observing what's going on. You're talking to people. You're engaging in conversation rather than rushing in to rush out. And I think the whole idea of walking it at, at half the pace and seeing twice as much is really important, right? And those sorts of things. So, so collect adventures, not things is really one of those values. And I thank Will for kind of helping me shape that uh, in a little way. I would love to hear from you too, along the same lines, like you're talking about the amazing Will Kitchen who I've had fortune to meet as well. It sounds like having maybe a core group of friends is a critical part too, and just your values discovering your journey. Yeah, very much so. So that solar system that you establish around you, and you think about a solar system, it nourishes you, keeps you, it's, it, you know, it kind of helps you survive. So you can select who you put into that solar system if, you know, and, and, and select meaning people come into your lives and you just want to hang on to them. And that's where the nourishment comes from. And there is a group of people that uh, I am incredibly close to that every, you know, and, and, and the second thing I know that's really important, Angie, is it's not so much that you have friends, but that you experience friends, right? And I think there's a level of connectivity that needs to happen. And, you know, people often say, yeah, look, you know, I've known him for a long time. We get on the phone and, you know, after t- two years, it's like we pick up like it's never happened before. Well, that's not bad. That's great. But you know what? If you've only got... 4,000 weeks to live. That's what they say they have in life. Seeing them once every two years isn't enough. You want to experience friendship. And I think this, this the solar system of people that I've tried to, to build and continue to build, it's never done, right? You're always looking at new people coming in, is is something that uh, that is really important to me because I, exp- I want to experience them. Hence, Will and myself, for example, who is part of my solar system, talk every two weeks. Um, but there was a period of time, you know, after he left India where we didn't speak for years. So bringing that in again. So absolutely. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's almost just like the opposite side of the coin of, you know, banish the psychic vampires, but be very intentional with your solar system. Yes. The, uh, it's a great way to put it. So one of the other things I think about this is, is that you don't want to surround yourself by kind of cheerleaders either. Um, because banish psychic vampires often sounds like, you know, push away all the critics. But actually, I think there is room for one or two what I call loving critics. These are people that call you out, that have this honesty with you, and they do it from a loving point of view. And I love the word loving critic because they will, you know, they will say things like, you know, a friend of mine would say to me, 
Andre, why have you got so fat? And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, what? But it's coming, you know, it's like, that's not a script, not a But you know what? Because it comes from a place of love, it's like, oh, thank you, David, for saying that to me, you know. Uh, or, you know, what? Is, why are you making these decisions? Have you, you know, have you not thought about what you've done? You know, that's this ridiculous decision you're making. And I think people who call out these elephants for you is really important to have as part of your solar system, right? Because they actually mm-hmm. keep you sharp and honest and stuff like that. Whereas it's not just about being in the easy, in the easy uh, uh, jet stream. You, you kind of need mm-hmm. this stuff around you as well. So I just want to clarify that by talking about these psychic vampires. Yeah, it's like you don't want to go to, you know, if you want to surround yourself with praise and worship, go to church. But if you want your solar system to thrive, there's some give and pull, there's some tension, but from trusted people who, you know, might call you chubby, but you say, hey, I know the place they're coming from is good. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, I don't know who these people are. You look so fit, Andre, so fit. <laughs> We've talked about psychic vampires, your first value of, you know, uh, collected ventures, not things. What's what's another one of the values that you've kind of established for yourself? Well, the other part of it, really important, is is freedom and autonomy. Uh, I've decided I, I never want to work for a boss ever again. And that decision came um, when I kind of decided to start my own businesses, which I now have a few. <laughs> And I love what I do because I don't, the only person I kind of answer to is my clients and me. I I don't have to have a boss. I don't need to ask permission to take time off. And I, you know, there was, I do a lot of coaching right now. And one of the biggest stress factors that I see with a lot of people who are living and working in that corporate world is decisions about my career, decisions about my salary are made without me in the room, right? And I never want that used to happen to me, and I never want that to happen again. So, so autonomy is something that's really important. So, making sure my businesses succeed, so I can afford to live uh, a life which is not one of having to go out and work for a boss again, is really, really important to me. And you're a coach too, so there's others who get the benefit of life's rich experiences that you've been presented with. What type of coaching do you do? Like, I'd like to learn a little bit more about what your practice and how you support those growing and developing in their life and in their career. Thanks, Angie. Well, coaching is something I do a lot of, uh, but I fell into it. I didn't go looking for it. People invited me. Uh, And I think it's a lot to do with curiosity and being curious with, uh, with what's going on in people's lives and being a great listener, as well as being able to collate so much experience that I've got. Uh, and bring it. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not accredited with any organization. I kind of don't go looking for it. It kind of finds me, which sounds a little bit arrogant, but that's not my main job, right? My main job is actually running these other companies. But it seems that the thing I love so much, equally love, is the coaching. So it's executive coaching. People come to me who might be senior corporate leaders, middle level leaders. And even some, you know, I do quite a bit of pro bono stuff with people who are just moving into a leadership role. So I, I tend to play in that space. So I only have a very few clients, not many at all. I don't, I'm not looking at 
having a massive portfolio of them. But people who have had have been with me for quite a while, and 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 that's what I do. So, so what is the, how do I work with them? Is the second part of your question. Well, I've been fortunate enough to be in leadership development now for I don't know forty years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've probably trained, I think, someone, uh, one of the people who was doing my website sat down with me and we calculate. he said, I need you to calculate this, Andre, because this is important to put on your website. Uh, how many people you think you might have trained? So we actually sat down and looked at all of the years I've been training and stuff like that. And I worked yeah. up to over 30,000 people, you know, in, in classrooms, in one-on-one sessions, not big sessions uh, that I've run with. And because I work with a company who focused on leadership development and I ended up becoming the managing director for the company and then opened their business in India, I know a lot because this was one of the probably premier leadership development companies back in the 70s, 80s, 90s and early 2000s. So a lot of stuff has come through me about, you know, how to lead people, how to influence people how to, you know, give feedback, how to inspire, how to, you know, deal with difficult, challenging situations, how to have those crazy conversations, how to deal with stakeholders, how to transition when you go from a job to another job. So all of these things are things that I've taught people. So when I come to coaching, it's, it's, it's a matter of bringing some of those and pulling out some of those uh, tools and ideas and models, I guess, that can support people. So it's like all of these years of experience, kind of uh, when it's relevant, I would bring it out. I think that's one side of it. I think the more interesting part, Angie, is what I call the intersectionality stuff, right? This is, I also run a business on mindfulness. Uh, I, have a, okay, I have a coaching business. I have a leadership business. I do pro bono work. Um, uh, involvement, not work, it's involvement with uh, men's support groups uh, and so on and so forth. So the idea of being able to draw on what we learn from mindfulness do the sort of things that happen uh, when men are going through some challenging situations to leadership development, to coaching, to communication skills, to actor skills, all of these things, I, I kind of find myself drawing and picking from each one, which is so, so amazing. That's the thing I love about it and even in terms of just running my business right you think about a business how can I draw from the you know the social work social areas of work I do that bring it into business and it's like wow there's a really interesting idea over there so I think that's for me is is the buzz I get out of doing what I do is these little bits that I can pick and choose from uh, as well as that whole kit bag of stuff that I've got yeah, this, and you know, this is the other thing I love about Andre is because, you know, we've been friends not as long as you and Will, but for a while. And, you know, every time I come up to Andre with a question, he just dives right into a great piece of advice. For instance, Andre, perhaps you'd be willing to share about uh, something from your book, Strategic Connections, on simply how to introduce yourself in a way that is more engaging and makes you more memorable. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about this according uh, to people in terms of, you know, helping people. On, there's, there's a number of ways to introduce yourself. One is getting people to remember your name and, and teaching people about your name and also remembering other people's names. That's one area of it. And, you know, for example, Andre Alfonso is a really strange name. It's two sort of first names and people 
mess it up continuously, right? They call me Alfonso. <laughs> I've, got an, I've got a list of names. I actually, when I started off working, people have called me Alfredo, Alfred, Marcel, uh, Admondo, <laughs> Pedro, uh, you know. And, and it's like, how hard can it be, you know? So, so one of the things we teach is how to teach other people your name. So it's really simple. You know, you say you, 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 the name you want to be known as, you repeat. So you say, hey, my name is, oh, hello, my name is Andre. Pause. Andre Alfonso. So you say your name twice, your first name twice, right? And then you give them an anchor. Andre, like in Andre Agassi, I've got a haircut just like his. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, the, the now. <laughs> because, you know, Alfonso is this uh, uh, exotic mango which you buy in India, but you know, you don't need to go that far. As soon as they remember Andre Agassi, it's stuck there. So that's one way of anchoring it. So teaching people how to remember your name. The other thing we do when people say, and what do you do? So that question is, what do you do? Right. And people often go, well, I'm a consultant, I'm a business owner, and they give you a title. I work with this company, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things we teach is that's not a memorable way. And it doesn't actually encourage conversation. It's a closer of conversations. We say I'm a consultant. People go, Oof. you know, I don't want to talk to a consultant or, you know, an educator. It's like, oh, you know, why? Uh, so you, you give them something that causes some interest. So you say, um, for example, if I'm talking about to someone about the work I do with leadership development, say, um, I work with people to help them become the best leaders they can be. Last week, and that's, a, that's, that's telling you a little bit of what you do, and then you give what we call, that's the best, the test is the testimonial, the second part, which is last week I was working with a group of people from uh, a technology services company that took them, taught them how to go about inspiring their people. Right? And all of a sudden people go, oh, Wow, that's interesting. Tell me more. So the whole idea of, of that introduction is to get people to tell me more. Half the time when we ask, what do you do? Uh, we don't really mean it. We don't really care because as soon as they give us a label, as you said, the conversation's done. Uh, what are some better questions we could ask to actually get a good conversation going? Yeah, I, there's, there's depends on the context, right? I don't know if there is a series of questions, but it starts off with being genuinely curious and paying attention. So, you know, we do this dance, how you, uh, how's, you know, and the usual, how are you going or whatever we say to someone after we meet them. And the response is always really busy. And then we go, yeah, you know, really flat out. And, and it's kind of this silly dance we do that adds no value. But if we really are curious about someone, you go, no, how are you really going? And then stop and then listen. And then people go, oh, yeah, I've just had a terrible week. Mm, tell me more. And I think the, if, if you've got the time and the bandwidth, those are the things. That's, you know, I, I talk about this idea of paying attention to somebody else as a superpower. It, it, Angie and Ben, we live in this world which is so fast-paced. Everything is down to, you know, the, the TikTok world, as I refer to it now. It's got to be given to you in about 15 seconds. Otherwise, it's, your attention span's gone. And in that process, we've lost a little bit that we've got to reclaim or hang on to as best we can. 
which is about paying attention to what's happening with people, not just moving on to the next piece, to the next piece and in interactions. And the superpower is really listening to what they have to say, being super curious and genuinely and authentically curious with them. This might sound like a simple question, um, but I'd be curious about this for you. Um, and I know you were just talking about listening and I kind of cut you off. <laughs> no, Giselle. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm just kind of fascinated from somebody like yourself who talks so openly. So talk about going deep fast, about going through a divorce, having a heart condition, having a near-death experience, having awakening. And then you're writing a book about strategic connections and the value of relationships. And you talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'd love to go deeper with this. You know, you, you hear often that people want to be heard, that people want to be seen. What value or benefit can you share with our listeners that they get from seeing and hearing people? Mm. What benefit do they get from slowing down and paying attention to the world around them? I'd love to hear you talk about that. I think it is the superpower that we have and we don't use very often, which is this notion of paying attention. Now, as I'm not sure about you, but when I went to school, uh, the word or the phrase paying attention was often seen as a bad thing. It's like, Andre, pay attention. Uh, you know, and it was like, Ugh. and and But if you think about what it actually means, pay attention, which is means you are paying someone, you're taking your resources out of your back pocket and paying someone with your, you know, with attention. It's such an important piece. Um, so when you do that, the world shifts. And I found that just in terms of my interactions with people. When I'm curious, really curious, and I'm paying attention and asking questions and just being, giving them that space to, to say, well, great, what, how are you really going? And listening for the subtext, the world opens, the, everything shifts, the relationship goes deeper. They value you. And I can't tell you how many times in just walking along to, you know, in a, in a completely um, uh, unexpected way, falling into a conversation with someone who has often said, that's one of the best conversations I've had, you know, five minutes in a long time, Andre. And it's just about that simplicity of paying attention. There's no technique involved. It all comes from a heart not the head, right? This is about being genuinely interested in other human beings. So when you go to the supermarket, like I was saying before, if you look at it as an adventure and there's a shopkeeper over there who's, you know, a bit stressed and you just say, wow, you seem really busy. And you just see them go, oh, you know, and then they want to tell you and then they walk away and they said, hey, come back next week, you know, and we'll have another conversation. Um, so I think those are the little moments that you do. I don't know if technique hands you, but it's, it's definitely intent and it comes from here. I bet you get upgraded on more flights than anyone else just by talking to the people behind the desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, last, last, yeah, just last week we were coming back and one of the things that I'm not sure of what's happening in the US, but finding staff over here is becoming really, really difficult. A lot of businesses are, are being really compromised because they can't find the staff. And my wife and me stopped off in this remote country town just to have some breakfast. And first, for a start, we couldn't get into a place because a lot of them just couldn't deal with us. But we came to a place and they said, it's going to be half an hour before we serve you. That's fine. And the waitress eventually came to us and you could see she was just really flustered. And, um, and we just said, 
wow, you seem really, really stressed out. You know, isn't it good to just take a breath? And she just went, oh. And then at the end of it, she came around and started talking to us. She's about to have a baby. La, 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 da. You know, where you guys live. Oh, I wish I had more customers like you. Boom. And yes. And in terms of being upgraded, Ben, it happens as well. It happened to me in Montreal <laughs> a few months ago uh, where you're sitting there, right. and, you know, something, the whole world is falling apart on someone and you just say, wow, isn't this funny? Isn't this ridiculous? Isn't this a stressful situation we've all found ourselves in? And laugh about it. Uh, and we got bumped up to the executive suite, the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think that's a really great for everybody who were listening to think about that, this important skill of empathy, connection, relatedness, the value, of course, we're not doing it. I mean, you might get bumped up, but we're doing it because that's where really magic happens in life. We are human beings. We are social creatures by nature. And I know a lot of us have kind of got rusty during the pandemic with our social skills. Hmm. Small thing to do is to build them by talking to people who I think we often consider feel invisible in our lives, like the people we pass through with on a day-to-day, -day, but small moments, yeah. man, can change you, can change others. And Angie, if I can just jump in there, it's a lot also to do with people who are part of your solar system. I'll give you a really, really quick story. Molly is my mm -hmm. third daughter. Um, about a couple of years ago, she was, she was working, she was working in a very stressful retail management job. She's in her early 20s. And she came home one night and, you know, I'm sitting there talking to her about a day. And then she started telling me about all of the stresses in her life. Now, as she was talking, me, Andre, the super coach, consultant, you know, great communicator that I am, started going tick, 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 tick. And before she finished, I had everything she needed to do. And I just laid it out. I said, yeah, okay, Mal, this is what you need to do. You need to do this, this, this. And I could see a tear coming down her eye. And I said, what's up? And she said, Dad, I don't know if I really enjoyed that conversation very much. I, I just don't think you're listening to me. And I was like, what? Here I am, the guy who talks about listening and talks about all this stuff, and what you're talking about. And I just screwed up, right? So even the people that are really close to you, it's this constant checking in with yourself and am i right here am i doing this am i really listening because we tend to form these dances and these patterns that yeah sometimes just don't work so it's also with people around you angie oh yeah absolutely again we're listening to fix versus just listening to give the other person the opportunity to express uh, and i've done that a thousand times at least. <laughs> andre i am sad that it is the last segment of this interview, but I'm excited because I know we get to jump into some of our favorite questions. Angie, would you like to get us started? I would. I always love to ask this question because our guests have such great reading recommendations. So first question is about a book. Can you share a book that you read that was really important to you? Maybe it influenced you, maybe it inspired you, but just something at a key stage of your life that you picked up a book and it hit you. Mm, wow. There's uh, so many. Um, great question, Angie. Um, okay. Probably. Yeah, here it is. Oh. I'm looking. <laughs> uh, it's this one. It's called The Prophet by Cahill Gibran. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read it, but I came across this probably many, many years ago. And you can see it's, it's torn and weathered and you can see it's bent. 
and it's one of these books I keep coming back to. It's not long, um, and it's uh, a, a, it's really it's not even philosophy. It's uh, Cahill Gibran was a poet in nineteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, mm-hmm. and he wrote this book, which I think has such profound wisdom that even to this day I still reach for it from time to time when I feel really lost. So it's a good, it's a book that keeps giving back, um, and it's not uh, religious or anything like that in any way. Uh, but it's just lots of wisdom in there. So I think that's probably a consistent one I keep coming back to. And it's really shifted me. And I've shared it with many other people as well. It's a series of poems in there. It's like, whoa, they're really good. I got to check this out. Thank you so much. Andre, if you had a time machine and you could go back in time to your younger self, the person who was putting on all these masks, and you could give that that Andre some advice, what would it be? It's going to be okay. You know, it's this this whole issue of I don't think I can handle it. See, the, the level of fear that we experience very often is this belief we have that I can't handle it. And it's amazing as you go through life how you do handle it, whether it's heart disease or whether it's divorce or whether it's being laid off on a job or whether it's some client crisis running a business. You know, the, 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 the belief, if I could instill in the younger Andre the belief that says, yes, it seems really difficult now, but just take the next step. Just take the next step and the step after that will emerge. I think that's probably what I would say because sometimes we start thinking about, do I really want to go? Do I need to get all of these things lined up? You don't. You just got to take the next step. And, the, and once you take that next step, the next step will become visible, even though you don't know where you're going. That's what I would say to the younger Andre. Just keep moving. I love the phrase, and I don't know the source of it, but we have survived 100% of our bad days. We can get through this one too. Just that next best step is going to get us forward. I would love to hear from you a piece of feedback that was uh, that was given to you that was illuminating. It could have been constructive feedback. It could have been something positive, but just a piece of information given to you that was illuminating. This was very constructive. It was in my early days, my probably my mid, mid, my mid corporate career. I was uh, HR director for uh, a company called Unisys, which was uh, was a massive organization here in in in, in the side of the world. And the CEO of the organization I reported to, uh, we were sitting down one day and he was very, very angry with me. Uh, and it came out. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as if he sat down to tell me, this is feedback you need to have. He just said, Andre, you're just never going to experience life until you learn how to grasp the nettle grasp the nettle and i always thought because grasping nettle is really uncomfortable and you get burrs and stuff like that mm-hmm. and i thought oh what a jerk uh, and that has stuck with me for probably 25 years i guess since i was told that maybe a bit longer uh, that you know you got to do the hard stuff do what's right not rather than what's easy and i think for such a long time i was so caught up in doing what's easy not doing what's right and i think that's something i tell my kids now you know if they if they're making a choice about going to a party for example and they don't want to go because they're feeling tired 
And I said, well, yeah, think about it. Are you a choice because it's easy or because it's right? And they go, oh, dad. <laughs> and I think that bit of feedback that I got, you know, 25 to 30 years ago is still with me today. And I think it shifted me. It shifted my center of gravity a little bit because it was true. I was always taking the easy road as opposed to doing the right thing. Andre, I bet we always call this our five favorite questions, but I usually make one up in here somewhere. And that's what I'm going to do right now. You've dropped in so many great nuggets around, you know, banishing your psychic vampires and collect adventures, not things, you know, have loving critics, freedom and autonomy. Considering the ones we've already heard, I would love just to hear another philosophy you try to live by. Um, it's the one Will talked about, and it's really important. If I had a place, if I, you know, I've often thought about putting a tattoo just over here on my hand to remind me on a daily basis. It's just, it's just stay curious, right? Because we just rush to judgment so much. And if you think about it, curiosity and judgment don't make good bedfellows. In fact, you can't have both in the same place at the same time. It's a light switch. You're either curious or you're judgmental. And in, in the world that we live in, which is so much information being thrown at us, there's this tendency to be judgmental constantly rather than being curious. And what I've found, and even with my kids or, or with my coaching clients, the thing I always come back to is stay curious for just a little bit longer. You're always going to get to judgment. It's going to come. But if you can just pause that, right, just pause that judgment for a few moments and just ask one more question. Stay curious for just a little bit longer. I think that's a game changer. For me, that's the tattoo I want to put up here. I think you should. I love that so much. But you said earlier, you're either curious or you're judgmental. Those two are not good bedfellows. In fact, it's impossible for them to coexist at the same time. Wonderful. Final question, because we are talking about you know, aspirations, living our higher calling, living with our values and with that in mind not every day is a great day what do you do andre to get yourself out of a funk yeah you know i i wish i had a really quick answer for you angie but probably the thing and i think it's different for different people let me say that up front for me i have to lean into it i have to go dark so if there's darkness around me i have to rather than avoid and I and this this comes from my learning in mindfulness this has helped me a lot is to lean in to the discomfort and know it's not you that you're just experiencing it right now that if there's something which is traumatic happening to you it's like you know or you're angry or you're sad you're not angry you're not sad you're experiencing anger or you're experiencing sadness and I think for me the way it works is I've got to go to that dark place and then I come out of it. If I if I ignore it, it'll just be with me. It's a cloud that'll follow me around uh, wherever I go. And I, it's only when I jump in and immerse myself, like reversing heart disease, for example, I had to go deep. I had to do the study. I had to do the hard things because all my cardiologists were saying go left, and I chose to go right, right? I with with help. Um, but I'd made some different choices than what they said to me. But I had to go really dark and say, well, what's this mean to you? So for me, even on a day-to-day -day basis, I, I have to go to that place. And it happens to me. Yeah, it does happen to me quite, I wouldn't say regularly, but it does happen. And I go there and, uh, 
and you know kathy my wife knows it now and she kind of goes okay is that where you're going <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of day we're uh, having today he's, andre he's, he's leaning in today <laughs> he's leaning in today and that's all right he'll come out the other end and i always do because part of that i guess part of the leadership is as you, you say to yourself come on andre what are you doing here you've got three roles to play you know you're a survivor a victim or a navigator you know are you a victim because that's not going to take you anywhere if you're a survivor it's just keep your head down and someone else will do it but when you're a navigator you've got to own it you've got to own it and i think that's it is once you decide you know of course we're all going to feel like victims so, you know, i was feeling like a victim just a, a few days ago uh, about something and then you go you know what that's just you, you kind of have this internal monologue that happens and you go oh you know, I don't want to do that. Um, but you know what? I want to wallow for a little bit. Just let me wallow in victimhood for just a little bit because it feels good. Blame the world. You know, this is terrible. Ah, vent. Get angry. But then at the end of it, you've got to go, well, okay, you've done a lot now. Get a, get a hold of yourself <laughs> and navigate out of it, right? So, and I think that's the best advice I could give anyone is to, is to not play the victim card, not play the survivor card, but look to play the navigator card, whatever that is. Oh, I cannot think of a better note to end on. But just in case, Andre, we our listeners, they want to learn more about you. They want to get more Andre in their life. How can they find you? Um, probably my website, which is Andre Alfonso, one word, A-N-D-R-E-A-L-P-H-O-N-S-O.com is probably the way to get to me, the easiest way. Well, thank you so much. This was such a great episode of wisdom and perspective. We so appreciate you having, or we so appreciate having you on our show today. Thank you, Angie. Thank you, Ben. Lovely doing it. Wow, Ben, your friend is awesome. You know the coolest people. And thank you for reaching out to Andre. And one of the things that stood out to me is lately we've had a lot of radio guests and podcast guests talking about staying in that space of discomfort. So rather you're, you aren't angry, you're just experiencing anger. That was a wonderful mindset shift. When we talk about emotions, emotions aren't bad. We need to process them. We need to learn from them. What did you learn? Did you learn anything new from your friend? I, he's just like about 90% of what he said today. He's, I've never heard him say before. He is always talking in wisdom. That's like his love language is just giving wisdom. But the idea that you are a survivor, a, a victim or a navigator, like I had never heard of those like kind of three archetypes, archetypes used that way, but it's such an interesting thing to ask yourself in this moment. Am I surviving and keeping my head down? Am I a victim or am I a navigator? Am I navigating my way out of something? And that also, you know, pointing out that being a victim isn't wrong. Sometimes you just have to lean into that. But eventually, you have to start navigating. And that is going to be something I'm going to think about for, well, at least until our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fred, thank you so much for tuning in to Bet On You Radio, listening to Ben Whiting and myself, Angie Morgan-Wakowski. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time.